Welcome to This Week in Brattleboro History, produced by the Brattleboro Historical Society and the Brattleboro Area Middle School. Do you know what a bolt of lawn is? How about Nainsook or Mercerized Batiste? In September of 1910, over 400 people attended a meeting in the Old Town Hall on Main Street to discuss the possibility of producing these items for the clothing industry. The Brattleboro Board of Trade, an earlier version of the Chamber of Commerce, called the meeting to share information with the public about the likelihood of a cotton mill coming to Brattleboro. A group of Southern New England mill directors had been meeting with prominent Brattleboro business owners about the possibility of establishing a cotton mill in town, and negotiations had gotten to the point where the rest of the community needed to be brought into the conversation. The proposal from the group of Rhode Island and Massachusetts mill directors was to create a mill that would produce high-grade cotton goods that could be used to make handkerchiefs, baby clothing, lingerie, underwear, curtains, blouses, and dresses. The mill would be built on land located between South Main Street and Vernon Road. The proponents of the factory were predicting that added mill employees would cause the town population to grow by as much as 25%. The group of -of out-of-town investors quickly became known as the Rhode Island men, as most were from families associated with the Ocean State's early mills of the 1840s. Oliver Chase had begun the Valley Falls Corporation of Rhode Island in 1839. It grew into one of the largest cotton mill complexes in the world, and for the next 80 years, Chase's sons and grandsons continued building mills in many New England communities. The Rhode Island men, including Malcolm and Edward Chase, proposed that a new Vermont corporation be formed and that it should be called Fort Dummer Mills. They would finance much of the startup costs for the mill, but would not agree to build here unless some of the capital could be raised through local means. They said it would cost $450,000 to construct the mill and acquire the necessary equipment. The Rhode Island men would supply almost 75% of the capital and expected locals to cover the remaining costs through individual investments. The Rhode Island men also stipulated that land for the mill must be provided by the town, that Fort Dummer Mills Corporation be exempt from local taxes for 10 years, that Brattleboro build 50 new tenements near the mill for workers, and that local people invest at least $120,000 in Fort Dummer Mills stock. The discussion at the meeting was lively. Most local people spoke in favor of the mill. Some asked why Brattleboro was being chosen by this group of wealthy mill owners. Edward Chase responded that the electricity available from the newly built Vernon Dam lowered the amount of investment capital needed because it would eliminate the need for a large boiler or engine plant to power the spindles. Hydroelectric power would replace the power usually generated by coal. As a result, his associates calculated that machinery and plant costs would be 20% lower than competing New England mills. The Chase family were prominent investors in the Vernon Dam as well. Questions about transportation costs were also addressed as it was explained that an agreement, which sounded a lot like a cartel between Boston cotton traders and New England mills, established the same rate for raw cotton bales regardless of shipping destination. In other words, cotton bales purchased at Boston Harbor and transported by train to Brattleboro would cost the same as those transported to Woonsocket, Rhode Island, or Lowell, Massachusetts. Some of the liveliest discussions focused on who would work at the mill. It was agreed that Brattleboro did not have enough workers available. The Rhode Island men spoke about their experiences in other towns and how they brought in agents to recruit workers from rural areas. They were more concerned about whether the town could provide enough housing for the workers. Townspeople shared their opinions about bringing in foreigners. Most people believed the bulk of the employees would be French-Canadian. Some people spoke in favor of bringing immigrants to town, and some offered reservations. Thank you.
At the end of the meeting, the Board of Trade voted to further investigate the mill requirements established by the Rhode Island men. Free land, adequate housing, local tax exemption for 10 years, and local investment of $120,000. Less than two weeks later, the town entered into an agreement to buy two farms on South Main Street to be developed into housing for the proposed mill. Another farm was also optioned so the land would be used for the mill itself. A local company was formed to build the tenements. A month after the September 1910 meeting, the required $120,000 was raised through local investments in Fort Dummer Mills stock and work began on the site of the mill. The Rhode Island men sent a mill tenement architect from Providence to work with the local construction company. Original plans for the mill were expanded and bids for construction of the building were put out in March of 1911. A firm from Pawtucket, Rhode Island was chosen to build the mill. Construction began in May of 1911. Most of the 350 construction workers were Italian immigrants. In July of 1911, it was decided to widen, grade, and straighten South Main Street so the trolley could run to the mill area. Also in July, it was decided to install bathrooms in the tenement buildings. The Vermont Phoenix reported, Although persons experienced with the average cotton mill worker strongly advised against the installation of bathrooms, the local contractor decided to include them anyway. In November of 1911, the town decided to build a new road, now called Cotton Mill Hill, to connect South Main Street and Vernon Road. It would pass by the newly constructed Fort Dummer Mill. The tenement complex under construction near the mill took on the name Fort Dummer Heights. Machinery installation in the mill also began in November. In February of 1912, the mill began operating the machines needed to pick, card, spin, and weave the cotton into bolts of lawn, nain sook, and mercerized batiste. There were many difficulties that needed to be worked out. Controlled humidity was essential as static electricity would cause the carding machines to fail. In March of 1912, the town school board requested bids for a new school to be built on Oak Grove. As families relocated to Brattleboro, school directors were worried about overcrowding in classrooms. This led to the creation of the Oak Grove School. In April of 1912, the mill finally began operating regularly, as machine and humidifying system bugs were worked out. The recruiting agents began bringing in workers from Canada and immigrant mill families from other New England mill towns that included Polish, Irish, Scots, and Italians. The agents also visited hill farms in Vermont, New York, New Hampshire, and Massachusetts in hopes of finding willing workers. Quickly, the mill was successful. In June of 1912, there were 125 employees. Employee numbers continued to increase in 1913 until there were 275 employees by June of 1914. According to news reports, housing shortages in Brattleboro limited the number of people the Fort Dummer Mill could hire. The manager was quoted as saying, The greatest difficulty has been the need to practically bring every family from out of town and then struggle with the housing crunch. The Fort Dummer Mill had a great impact on Brattleboro. Fort Dummer Heights, a mill worker tenement complex along South Main Street, was constructed for the workers and their families. This area became known locally as Fort Dummer and developed into its own neighborhood. The town trolley ran to the mill to help with worker transportation, and Oak Grove School was built to accommodate the influx of workers' children. Corner stores, a barber shop, hairdresser, restaurant, and bar were established in the neighborhood. The mill formed a baseball team that competed with other New England mill teams. Fort Dummer became a tight-knit community that revolved around the cotton mill. As with most mill operations, there were issues with child labor, health care, job security, and low wages. At the same time, many people who have connections with the Fort Dummer neighborhood have fond memories of a close-knit community that looked out for one another in good times and bad.
1931, the mill was purchased by Berkshire Fine Spinning Associates. This was a separate corporation from Fort Dummer Mills, but the Chase family continued to control most of the stock shares. Berkshire Fine Spinning controlled 15 New England mills and employed 11,000 workers, mostly immigrants and their children. In 1955, Berkshire Fine Spinning Associates merged with Hathaway Mills, another Chase family conglomerate of mills controlled by cousins of the Berkshire Company, and they became Berkshire Hathaway. The Fort Dummer Mill operated as part of Berkshire Hathaway until 1958 when it was closed by the company due to competition from southern and overseas mills. Please join us next week for another story from our community's past.